Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and this is my co-host Joey. Hey, how's it going? And today we're continuing our series on the Cornetto Three Flavors trilogy. Today we're watching the second movie in the trilogy, Hot Fuzz. You want anything from the shop? Cornetto. No luck catching them killers, then. It's just the one killer, actually. It's just the one killer actually. No luck catching them killers then. It's just the one killer actually. No luck catching them killers then. It's just the one killer actually. Somehow, you got brain freeze? No, I got brain wave. Get us back to the station now! This is a British buddy cop rom com action thriller. Directed by Edgar Wright. Cast includes Shaun of the Dead, Bilbo Baggins, Phileas Fogg, and Clive Gollings. I watched this movie on YouTube. Joey, how did you watch it? I watched it on physical DVD, my own personal copy. Wow. Some, uh, some highlights from the DVD I'll, I'll, I'll talk about a little bit later, but um, the trailers before the movie started for this one were Balls of Fury, um, Classic. White Noise 2 with Nathan Fillion, which is a, I've never heard of either of those uh, that, movies. Oh, you've never, seen, like a, you never heard of Balls of Fury? No, I've not heard of uh, White Noise or, oh, White, or, Night Noise or White Noise 2, the, 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 the highly anticipated sequel. <laughs> Balls of Fury is, is, a weird, is a weird movie. And there's, in the trailer, at least, there's just so many like just getting punched in the balls jokes. Um, <laughs> it's crazy. Um, no, White Noise, White Noise, I've never heard of this movie, but it's like a, it's like a um, uh, what's it called? Like a near-death experience thing, like a Flatliners. Or, or if you ever watch that movie, that show on uh, Netflix, the OA, um, where like he gets, he like dies and then gets resuscitated and then he has like superpowers and he can like see, uh, okay. like, he can see when things are, yeah, he can see when people are about to die and he can save them. But that like causes a ripple effect in the timeline and then people become like zombies and shit. It's weird. Anyway, uh, there's two of those movies. <laughs> right. But it's funny. It's called white noise. Cause it's like, what's a more forgettable thing than white noise? <laughs> <laughs> really though. The other two things they advertised were Heroes Season 1, Ooh. which we all remember, Save the Cheerleader, Save the World, um, and The Office Seasons 1 and 2, I believe. Oh my DVD. gosh, two of the best seasons. And you know yeah. this for, for a fact now since you're... That's right. Have you completed I've, I've your... Watching the Office. You're still watching? No, I have not. We are on Season 7. I think we just... We're, we have one episode left in Season 7, I think. Uh, so we're, we're about to enter the post michael scott era oh it's about uh, to get office. weird uh, so that's great but um yes <laughs> something i i want to um note before we continue is uh we're doing kind of a bit here in honor of the cursed jar in this movie we will be donating one dollar per swear in this episode to the bail project i think you mean one fucking dollar <laughs> per swear shit i forgot <laughs> So uh, when you hear that noise, you, that means we're uh, dropping another dollar into our uh, curse jar, uh, which we'll be donating to the Bail Project at the end of the episode. So uh, let's get this fucking synopsis started, Joey, uh, that you wrote so we can remember what happened in this movie. All right. Nicholas Angel is London's top cop. 
He is an expert in police enforcement rules and strategies, a standout officer in the field, and a master of several high-skilled disciplines like martial arts and chess. He is good at his job. He is so good, it is making leadership nervous that he will actually stop crime from occurring. They decide they need to get rid of him, so they promote him to sergeant in Sanford, a tiny town in the English countryside. As soon as he arrives, Angel's hardline and professional approach to policing earns him few friends. Everyone is pleasant enough, but the rest of the police service is actively hostile, calling him names and ridiculing him. His only ally is the inspector's son, Danny. Danny is a bit of a buffoon, a drunk, and has no idea what it means to be in law enforcement. However, Danny is eager to learn and is fascinated by Angel's stories of stopping crime in the big city. For his part, Danny shows Angel his first action movies and they fall asleep together while watching Bad Boys 2. Angel is also introduced to the Neighborhood Watch Alliance, a group of concerned residents of Sanford who meet regularly and discuss town business. They work closely with the police in their investigations and feature prominent members of the community. Soon after Angel arrives, two people are brutally murdered. The murder is framed as a traffic collision and everyone else is content to call it an accident. But Angel isn't convinced. After two more murders occur, each more suspicious and violent than the last, Angel becomes incensed. Everyone seems content to call them accidents, but they are too sus for Angel. He suspects there is an imposter among us, so he officially opens an investigation. Emergency meeting. While at the local flower shop to buy a birthday present for Danny, the shop owner reveals some key information that fills in gaps for Angel. But when he dashes to his car for his handy-dandy notebook, the shopkeeper is killed by someone in a black cloak. Angel pursues, chasing the murderer through greenhouses, glass, and fields, but they are too fast and get away. Angel believes he has cracked the case and presents it to the inspector, who reluctantly agrees to help. The whole service goes down to the grocery store to confront Simon Skinner, the owner. But Angel missed something. There is footage of Skinner at his store all day, and he doesn't have any of the signs of struggle that Angel suspects. He and Danny go to the shop for ice cream when he realized what he missed. Skinner wasn't acting alone. But again, the inspector doesn't take him seriously. Angel retires for the night to his hotel room, only to be ambushed. He fights off the intruder, and because of a message over the radio, he heads to the castle to find out why someone tried to kill him. There, he discovers the true culprit. It is the Neighborhood Watch Alliance. They are all dressed in black hoods and chanting in Latin. All of these enthusiastic but seemingly harmless countryside people have actually been killing people left and right for years. They are obsessed with winning the Best Town Award every year, and they kill anyone that they believe might threaten that. It turns out Angel's elaborate explanation for all of the deaths was just a coincidence. Everyone was killed because they were annoying or bad at their job or had an ugly house. Danny shows up and pretends to stab Angel and carts him out of town. Angel begs Danny to help him stop the neighborhood watch, but Danny doesn't want to. Instead, he returns to Sanford and leaves Angel to fend for himself. But just in his lowest point, 
our hero spots the inspiration he needs. There, in a convenient shop just outside of town that happens to have a shelf full of action movies, are the films he watched with Danny. Angel buys some sunglasses and beelines back to Sanford. He arrives at the police station early, before the inspector gets there, and grabs as many guns as he can get. Then, on a white horse, he makes his way through town, shooting and maiming the people that attempted to kill him the night before. Along the way, he picks up Danny and convinces him to join the cause. Eventually, the inspector arrives with the rest of the police service, but Angel appeals to them and tells them the truth. They turn on the inspector, and together they lay siege to the grocery store. Eventually, Angel and Danny chase the inspector and Skinner to the model village where they have a showdown. Skinner gets his chin impaled on a church spire, and the inspector gets taken out by a swan. As they wait for the paramedics, the London police leadership arrive and ask Angel to come back, as the numbers have gone screwy in his absence. Angel refuses, because he has paperwork to do here in Sanford. They process and book everyone in the Neighborhood Watch Alliance and their associates, save one. One more old man appears in the police station armed with a shotgun. He tries to shoot Angel, but Danny dives in front of him. The old man trips and falls under a sea mine and the entire police station explodes. One year later, Angel is finally in his own rustic cottage. Danny has fully recovered and peace has been returned to Sanford. The end. There you have it, the events of Hot Fuzz. We will begin our analysis by going over our pros and cons. Joey, what did you like about Hot Fuzz? I, I just love this movie. Um, I feel like it's one of the best written comedies I can think of, if not the best comedy ever written. Um, it is you got setups, you got callbacks, you got action, you got thrills, you got twists, you got romance, conspiracy, and just nonstop jokes. There's, it's a collaboration of genres blended beautifully into something completely new. Not a single moment or a single line of dialogue or a single shot is wasted. Everything has a purpose. Everything fits together like a satisfying jigsaw puzzle. Nicholas Angel is a fully realized and unique character that breaks the mold of the hero cop. Um, and it's also got an interesting critique of fascism. Uh, it's just, wow. Wow, wow, from the top to bottom for me. I totally agree. It's very clever. It's so funny. And and it it's a comedy for sure, but I like you're saying, it transcends the genre. It's not just a comedy. Not that there's anything wrong with being just a comedy, but this movie is so ambitious. It takes on many different genres at once. It's very well written. It has great references to iconic action films, lots of great setups and payoffs, a fun twist that uh, is kind of like hilarious and and almost like too funny. Um, and we'll, we'll it's, too, it's, it's a little too much. <laughs> we'll get into that. It has lots of heart too, it, which is something that it carries over from the first uh, Cornetto tr- uh, Three Flavors trilogy film. It's like, it's great. It's funny. It's irreverent, but it also ma- is very endearing. It's got great Edgar Wright editing styles. Edgar Wright makes some of the most watchable movies ever, and this movie is no exception. And uh, yeah, it just continues to uphold the quality of the Cornetto Three Flavors trilogy. This is the... I've seen both Shaun of the Dead 
and uh, Hot Fuzz before we started this series. I haven't seen the third one, the World's End or whatever it's called. Yeah. Uh, so I have a lot of anticipation for that one after seeing both of these and, and recognizing that they both have this high level of quality uh, that rivals each other. So, um, so far, I mean, this series is really, it's been really good. So um, those are my pros. Let's move on to our cons. Joey, what did you not like about Hot Fuzz? The action is better than it is in Shaun of the Dead, but it's still not quite there. I think like we've been spoiled by incredible action over the last you know few years. But you know this movie's uh, I, I don't know it's 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 not quite at that level that you know movies that are coming out today are at. Maybe that's not fair to judge it for. Um, I feel like the fake conspiracy between like Skinner and the all the um, victims is a little confusing. Even though I've seen this movie like five times, I still can't exactly explain exactly what what it is that's going on. And it, obviously, it's like usurped by the um, um, by the real twist, right? But there, they do spend a lot of time building up this fake conspiracy that I feel like is a little convoluted and difficult to follow um, through the, the through the first part. Um, and I think that the the twist is really awesome. I think this movie relies on the twist. It 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 can't work without it. But I also think it's pretty silly um and i don't know how much it's telegraphed before it actually happens uh so i'll i'll give it a i'll give it a little you know nick for that sure uh, and i i think that's definitely fair i think going along with like your criticism of the action i think at times there's too many jump cuts in the action that make it make it hard to appreciate what's really happening and i think there's a couple ways to look at that. First off, that's like a blanket criticism I usually have for most action movies because uh, I feel like jump cuts are kind of a cheap trick to avoid having to do real action. But at the same time, this movie is influenced by movies that use jump cuts like this. So it's like they're kind of (laughs) having their cake and eating it too because they're like, hey, we're just making an homage. But it's like they're making an homage to something I'm not a big fan of. So I don't want to... It's not too harsh of a criticism to say that that wasn't great. Uh, At the same time, I didn't really love the sexist jokes about the female cop. You can be clever in, in those jokes as much as you want. That's fine. Whatever. But it sucks that we didn't really have any other female characters we just have the one whose whole joke is she's the female and it's like i don't know i mean we did have there were plenty of members of the nwa who were females but they were definitely a, a kind of uh group and they didn't have a lot of individual uh time in the spotlight so yeah uh i was a little bit disappointed by that and she just comes across as one dimensional but and then finally I feel like this movie loses its grasp on the themes it was building towards at the end when it just shifts to focusing more on the action. Um, And I don't know, maybe that's something that I'll reach a catharsis on as we get through our conversation. So um, let's go ahead and begin that conversation in our overall section now. Okay. Uh, Okay. Again, this movie does for the buddy cop action genre what Shaun of the Dead does for for zombie movies. It's a parody, but it's also a celebration. And it takes these ideas and brings it to the next level and improves on every trope. Um, I, I, the movie actually follows the structure of a romance. There's a meet cute, there's a falling in love, there's an unnecessary breakup, and followed up by a grand gesture. Um, it's not explicit. It's explicitly not romantic, but it is two men becoming very good friends. But the language of the romance works beautifully here. 
And I would argue it does a better job of being a romance than lots of other actual romances. Our characters actually change because of each other. They adopt the other's speech patterns of speech. They change their worldviews and values. They discuss what really motivates them and examine that, examine that together. It's pretty amazing. It's not, it's not really the huge, it's not the biggest focus of the movie, but it adds so much. It gives a real depth to the characters. And I feel like any movie, whether it's an action or a romance, should strive to match that level of depth. And on top of that, like this is the natural conclusion of an actual natural next step of the buddy cop like genre, right? You have these two guys who are working together and obviously they're supposed to be friends, but like, you know, because of toxic masculinity in movies, like you never see them actually express a lot of affection for each other. Whereas this movie goes that extra step and you like isn't afraid to use the language of a romance to bring these two guys together. Um, and it, I feel like it really, really works. It really you really get a sense of like them being friends even though they are very different no i totally agree it's a uh, i mean buddy cops are not an uncommon genre but uh, you're right like the way that they bring them together is very unconventional because they go beyond just being friends it's like uh, yeah like they use that ro- language of romance i do love how you said they have a meet cute are you referring to when <laughs> danny almost hits him with a car yes <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> um, and while I agree that there's like this emotional draw that goes with them, something that like I'm I'm a little bit um, uncertain about what uh, Nick gains from this relationship, uh, as far as like what what changes about him by getting closer to Danny. Because we come into this with the reason Nick can't be in a stable relationship uh, with you know, his ex-girlfriend, the reason they, they had to break it off is because he can't turn it off, right? He's always being the super cop. And, um, I don't really see him change that throughout the movie. He still just does cop stuff all the time. Uh, he shows Danny. So like, and and to contrast this, Danny, on the other hand, comes into, he's a drunk. He's kind of listless in his life. He's just floating through and kind of unaware of what's really going on. And Danny helps him to become a better cop. Really, our, our Nick helps Danny to become a better cop. In fact, Nick helps all the cops become better cops. And uh, that's easy to see. And, and that's, you know, self-evident, whatever. That feels like a good arc for Danny. But for Nick, he, I don't see him really turning it off. He just stays a cop the whole time. So, like, what is the transformation that Nick goes through? What does Nick gain from this relationship with Danny? Well, maybe you'll see this as a stretcher, but I feel like the only reason why he makes that final connection about the conspiracy, about there being multiple killers, is because he turns off. They they go they they're sitting there. He's you know angels. Nick you know Nick is uh, uh, all dejected, right? And uh, Danny's like, hey, you want to get some from the shop? And he's like, well, you know, we'll get some ice cream or something. Like he finally like takes a moment to take a break, and that's when like things start to kind of fit together. And then like the solution to the problem was to be an action hero, right? Which is not something like you may argue that like he had all these skills beforehand and everything, but he's all, but when he's talking to Danny about what they should do, he's like, let's go to London and bring in the cavalry or whatever. Right. He's like, Oh, let's, you know, let's go through the proper procedures to do this. And then, you know, he, he recognizes like, this is an opportunity to be super cop, you know, super cop, meet the cop that can't be stopped. <laughs> that, um, <laughs> Uh, language of action films, right? Or, or like what uh, Danny believes being a cop is, is something that, perv- like, 
seeps into his mind and and he realizes like actually yes like that's what i should do in this situation right um i i don't know like i that's like and there's more to that too right he's he starts using the same phrases right he says this shit just got real or whatever or, or he tells he tells us skinner to jog on and gives him the the two-finger salute um which wow. is and hilarious. then they have this like as nick starts to get it him and yeah. danny have this hilarious exchange during the siege of the supermarket has looked uh he's in the freezer just say cool off no i didn't say anything actually shame there was a bit earlier on that you missed when uh, I distracted him with the cuddly monkey, and then I, I said, playtime's over, and I hit him with the peace lily. You're off the fucking chain! <laughs> <laughs> yes. So no, I guess, like, for me, I see this as him kind of becoming more fun and, like, I guess, in taking in the idea of being a cop in, like, new ways, but this just ends up resulting in him deciding it's like it's time to be a super cop which is cool but also it's like doesn't really seem applicable to anything in real life like uh, it's like oh I, my problem was i was doing realistic police officer work and i need to become like a one-man army <laughs> yeah but like that's still an arc you know what i mean like yeah, I, yeah, yeah i i um i like that because i feel like the world that like this movie ta- like takes place in is so like ripe for movie magic you know like everything is so perfect so like it's just a, um it's just like a, a we need somebody like this in a world that acts like this you know the movie never pretends to like really exist in the real world beyond just like addressing you know uh like obvious like cliches or, or tropes in other action movies um it never it's like it's still very much in the language of cinema it's still very much a movie's movie you know what i mean and in that case like where's your superhero you need a super cop to come in and and save the day from this absolutely ridiculous and ludicrous situation right in this very specific situation that uh, nicholas angel finds himself in the super cop turns out to be the you know the key that fits the lock I, I, I definitely see that. And it's like something where doing it by the book, like I, I definitely understand where they're coming at, where it's like, here's our plot that we're writing. Like this is about the uh, grocery store owner who's like upset that the town is changing and they want to w- win the best village. And there's like this plot of land and they're building some sort of road that's going to go through and people want to leave the town. And there's all these complicated, it's like this guy has got the connection yeah. to this. And it's like, we're building this whole thing and it's by the book this is the the way that it makes sense um right and then as a police officer you would do the logical way of dealing with that right um but when the crime isn't logical then you throw the book away and then you do the the kind of nonsense way of dealing with it uh which is it's like you're using the right so you're matching the solution to the problem so i I guess i can i can definitely understand where they're coming from with that um and it's like as long as you don't try to pick that up and drop it into real life then i think it works i think the thing that i find satisfying about this is that both angel and uh danny actually change in the movie right and whether or not like angel is changing for the better uh is kind of uh, you know up in the air but i don't i don't really see that as a negative necessarily um because yeah, again like in this situation i feel like it's appropriate but also like it's still nice to watch our characters grow and, and learn from each other. Um, and it's endearing that um, these two men find each other so compelling that they're willing to change their worldview for each other. So yeah, I, I, know. I think that's, 
that's great. I agree. And, and I guess maybe it's a subversion of my expectations because the scenes at the beginning of this movie look like we were getting set up for the classic, you need to learn how to relax. You know, something where right. it's like, there's more to life than doing your job. And like, sometimes like relaxing is the best way to like serve your purpose or whatever. Right. It's like ta- being sure. learning how to take a break. And, and I don't think that that's the direction that Nick goes. And it's not what changes about him at, by the end of this movie, but maybe you don't have to go cookie cutter with your setup and then your eventual payoff. Yeah, that's the thing, right? Uh, so uh, this movie, just to kind of expand on what I was just saying, this movie exists in this perfect state for me. It's self-aware. It takes so much care to align everything, to explain everything. It has a reason for every action, every setting, every weapon. It, but it's also just like hyper real, right? Angel looks over and there's on the shelf Point Break and Bad Boys 2 right next to each other uh, <laughs> on, the, you know, on, the, on, the, on the little shelf there. Skinner is rolling by in his convertible, playing music related to the crime that was just committed. <laughs> um, the living statue is frozen in a shocked expression when he's killed. Uh, <laughs> incredible, right? It's all part of this world where everything just lines up perfectly. Every domino parachutes in just in time to be struck by the domino before it. It's a concert of moving parts uh, working in perfect harmony and all pointing toward conclusions that are nonetheless surprising and entertaining as hell. Despite all of these setups and payoffs, right? Just, when I'm watching this, I still get this like, you know, it's still fitting everything together. I guess I still get this dopamine, dopamine rush and I still don't know exactly what's going to happen, right? The, the That's the thing is like, they're telegraphing all these things about what's, what's about to go on and then the twist happens and you're like, okay, I can just kind of throw almost everything away. But that's not even true because everything that led up to that point is used after the turn to uh, solve the problem or to enhance the problem or whatever. Everything, uh, it, it, you, everything that you're familiar with becomes twisted in a, in a new way, which is just another way of being surprising but also like satisfying. Um, so it's like, you got this perfect combination of like, oh, I I know what that's coming from. I see how that got there, but also like I didn't expect that, um, which is an amazing feat uh, of writing, in my opinion. I think it's an incredible work of art. I love that metaphor of dominoes parachuting in just in time to be struck by the one before them because it's it's so accurate. The more complicated and like time-oriented metaphor you can come up with, the better because this movie is that to its peak. Like it's everything like every little piece of the plot structure even down to the individual exchanges of dialogue all kind of build on each other or at the very least are witty and clever and worthy of your attention in the moment. There's yes. so many examples from this movie that are just like extremely quotable. Like the, when's your birthday? February 22nd. <laughs> what year? Every year. Every year. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, where, where he's like in the pub with the, the detectives or whatever, where he's like, you've got a mustache. And he's like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, those guys are amazing. (laughs) He's like Peter Ian Staker, piss taker. (laughs) Come on! And then they squad escape escape from the castle. And he's actually is his name. Like this. Yeah, but then like (laughs) the castle comes back, the swan comes back. All of that, you know. Like I feel like this movie is better written than Shaun of the Dead because every element is tied directly into the plot, right? Shaun of the Dead did all of these like funny bits, like little little kind of interesting little things that you know had set up some payoffs and kind of came back together. But ultimately like the story is kind of straightforward. Whereas this one like jumps around so much because you 
are taken from you're, you're introduced to a thing right you're like okay well that's kind of funny on its own and then it comes back and plays an integral role in the like the climax of the movie like uh aaron a anderson is probably one of my favorite um setups and payoffs in any movie ever they he goes into the um goes into the office and he says you guys got the andes you guys got to start detecting you guys got to start uh interviewing people and they're like what do you want us to do go through the phone book yeah start with aaron a anderson or aronson like you know the, just like stereotypical first name uh that's possible in the list right and then later he meets a little redheaded kid and saves him from imminent demise named aaron a aronson <laughs> <laughs> incredible <laughs> What's your name, kid? Aaron Anderson. <laughs> so funny. I mean, this movie is overflowing with fantastic wordplay and fun dialogues. Oh. And and like you were saying, like it always has the at the very least potential and, and most of the time actually follows through on that potential of having additional meaning. The uh yes. like every death is surrounded by wordplay that is about it where they're like when they leave the play they're like that's the last we'll be we'll see of him or hopefully that's right. the last we'll see of him and then uh for the guy in the house they're like he'll be in bits in the morning <laughs> and then right. the uh the reporter who he was supposed to meet who wins the raffle right before he dies they're like tim your number is up it's like, i know it's so, so good. hilarious <laughs> and it, it just it works really well uh like combine that with the the great Edgar Wright editing and the cinematography and and you've got yourself a movie that's just incredibly fun to watch. Oh yeah. So like okay, let's talk a little bit about the action. So for me the action isn't the strongest part of this movie, but I feel like it's good enough. Um it makes sense, it's clever and it's exciting. Um I think again, we're spoiled by the incredible action we get from superhero movies. So it's really this movie really has no chance. Honestly, when I was watching this, I kept thinking about the Batman. I'm like, this like this movie is like has the same plot as the Batman, but it's better executed, and it's <laughs> <laughs> and the action in the Batman's better. <laughs> like that's that's the trade off there. So wait, would that like, make Danny like, Gordon? Yes, they're like they're like you know he's he's got this elaborate plot or whatever right going yeah. up, and then there's like there's like a big twist at the end where it turns out that like all of it was a lead up to like a, a huge destruction of the city um yeah it, it turns wow. out like every every member of the establishment is is in on the conspiracy you know what i mean oh my god you're so right this is the same movie <laughs> wow uh, so yeah, so uh, you know, compared to the action from that movie to to this one, is it's not fair. Uh, but you know, I think it, it succeeds in other areas. Where I, where I feel like it succeeds in the action is the emotional weight, right? The action for me is good because we care about what happens and because every moment is telegraphed to us earlier in the movie. It's so satisfying to watch when that happens, right? And, you know, it's one thing for them to dive into a uh, into the bar shooting the guns in the air, but it's it makes so much difference for Danny to have mentioned that earlier in the movie and be like have you ever you know dived through the air and shot your guns at the same time or anything like that have you ever shot your gun in a high high speed pursuit and then later they're both doing that they're both like shooting their guns out the window yeah it's awesome yep. it's so great especially because it comes across as so bizarre early on um yeah. it, you're, you're like yeah sure it's a it's a action movie trope but like to specifically say like have you ever jumped in the air like through the air shooting your gun it's like no like you ever ever shot the gun you're out in the air and said ah yeah <laughs> no i've never shot, shot Shot my gun in the air and said, ah. But then to see those <laughs> things play out later, yeah, it's hilarious. And, and just continuing on the 
uh, the comparison with the Batman. I mean, which one has more clever wordplay? <laughs> They're the same movie. Oh my oh gosh! My God, that, I'm so, so glad we watched these back to back. But like, also going on with like the, the action, I think you're right that it's like not the best action ever. But at the same time. It is pretty good. Like it was a lot yeah. of fun to see the like the absolute uh, chaos of like the shootouts at the end, and they again with those setups, you um, supplement action that you know might be not as good as John Wick or whatever, but you supplement that with uh, the setups that make them all meaningful. You see that guy who whips open his jacket, his big coat, yes. and he's got guns in there, and it's like, that's what he had in there. Like, the fact <laughs> that they were suspecting the whole him time, and they suspected him, and they immediately dismissed him, but it turns out he was packing the whole time. Exa- yeah. It's like a- or, or what about when uh, they say, like, who's, you know, there's more guns in the country than in the city. It's like, who's got guns? Uh, farmers? Uh, like you know, everyone and their mom is packing out here. Farmers and farmers' moms, and then later, you know, the first person he meets when he runs into the city is a farmer and his mom. Both of them are shooting guns at him. Right, <laughs> <laughs> and like that kind of thing. And then, um, who was it that he uh, shot in the leg at the air game? Um, oh, it was the doctor. The doctor, right? And then he and shoots he says, him in the like, leg. He's a doctor. He'll <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> get over it. <laughs> Like having to deal with it. Right. So I think um you can you can have, you know, quote unquote like like subpar action, which I don't even think that it is. It's just, you know, it's not again John Wick, but not, yeah, by setting stuff. it up this yeah. way and having each bullet mean something, uh, you know, almost it doesn't matter how good the action is, it's it's more meaningful. And in the climax, uh only one person dies. Um, and that's the the guy who lands in the sea mine. Everybody else is is uh, is sort is just kind of maimed or I- incapacitated briefly, right? They they he shoots the bear trap in the um in the pub and it falls on his head. You know, she shoots the uh, the flower pot and it falls on the guy's head, right? He shoots the doctor in the leg and, and the reverend in the foot, um, all that stuff, you know. So it's um uh it, it's got that same like level of like intensity but again on a smaller scale you still feel like the weight of the moment but it's just in the small town and ultimately nobody dies right it's uh it's kind of like a um uh it the what's it again the uh, punishment matches the crime right right okay so i yeah i want to talk a little bit about the twist too so i, I again i think the twist um is necessary it, it has to happen right it's it's it supports the whole movie. The whole movie is built on this twist, even though it pretends it's not, right? Um, and uh, I think that the reason why I like it so much is because it feels like a huge risk. Um, you know, Wright and Peg spent the first two acts of this movie setting up this elaborate conspiracy and just you know throw it all away uh, for something that's truly insane. Uh, but it has to do that, right? If it's if it's going to be if it wants to be this epic action thriller, there needs to be this truly big threat. And I feel like like even though there's a, there's all these you know it's leading up, you're really supposed to suspect Skinner, right? The way he's talking about he has this dark sense of humor where he's like, "I'm a slasher." Oh, can we please yeah. play that quote? Yes. <laughs> Lock me up. I'm sorry. I'm a slasher, and I must be stopped. You're a what? A slasher. The prices. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm Simon Skinner. I run the local supermarché. Pop in and see me sometime. My discounts are criminal. Catch me later. Yes, the no. It's so funny. He's always showing up, being like really, um, 
really ominous. And you're supposed to suspect him and everything. You're supposed to like put all your attention on him, but he's just a misdirect. And then like of course like you see these little you know omniscient you know third third party uh, scenes where there, people are killed by someone with like you know a, like a scythe or something. So you know that something's going on uh, more than what what what's what's being shown to you, but you don't know that it's more than one person or how much like. Uh, you know, it's playing into this this the neighborhood watch thing, right? It's all very um, it's all very hidden. Um, and uh, so I don't know, like I, I can't imagine somebody watching this and then predicting that turn that like the entire town is is in on it because I don't feel like it's like I don't really feel like it's um giving it gives you enough for you to to build off of that. I think the biggest think? clue you get that it's potentially the whole town is the prevalence of the walkie-talkies where mm. every time Nick does something everyone knows about it instantly which you could extrapolate and be like okay well then if they're all working together they could do whatever they wanted to to kill sure. anybody they wanted to and then obviously if they're all working together none of them are going to turn each other in so it's kind of like you can look back at that and say like okay that was a pretty good clue but again like yeah it, it, there's it's leading you so hard in the direction of like this complicated conspiracy that I think it would be pretty tough to come up with this twist. Yeah. Because it's only so much you can pay attention to at one time, right? If you were going through it scene by scene or something, I mean, if you would watch the movie before, obviously you would know. But if if you were going through it scene by scene and trying to pick together everything out, you know, it's other movies aren't as careful about every shot and every piece, right? So you would be picking up on a lot of things that aren't that you would think aren't important. And the movie kind of takes advantage of the fact that. Uh, other movies aren't as well crafted as this one is uh, to to lead you down a direction. Again, taking advantage of the genre to lead you to a conclusion that it can then subvert, which I think is absolutely incredible. Um, but stuff like the living statue, right? He shows up a couple of different times. Oh my gosh. When they show uh, the security footage of him standing standing still, <laughs> so funny <laughs> like here he is you know at, at one o'clock at two o'clock at three o'clock and he's just in the same exact position and they're so pissed off about it <laughs> like he's some sort of menace by just standing yeah there. he's he's there when um he's also there when um when angel is chasing the, the the guy in the purple jumpsuit through the streets he's just kind of standing there you know uh off to the side and then of course he shows up at the end uh in the catacombs uh after he's been offed so mm-hmm. Like you, there's something that you like. You just think like, oh, that's a weird little uh, quirk of something, right? Something somebody's brought up a couple of times, and you don't. It, it doesn't seem like it's going to go anywhere um, until it does, and then it's you know it finally fits together. It's there. It's it's been there the whole time. Uh, it's a uh, it's a lot to t- keep track of. Um, yeah, again, and and it. like talking about it being a big risk, I, I I agree with that because it's it's borderline loony to just say oh no the reason oh, they're yeah. doing all these killings 100%. is because this person was just annoying to them and they just didn't <laughs> like them and it's it's for the greater good which translates to winning this silly award every year which right you i don't know it's, uh, when you think about it, it's a little less loony because it all kind of comes down from uh the sheriff or what, what was his title the Inspector, uh, the inspector whose wife, uh, you know, committed suicide after not winning the award. So it's like it's based in something very tragic and like kind of uh, of substance. But it's also really silly <laughs> that everyone else would be compelled by that and like kind of uh, just 
you know, decide to be this compelled by this award. But I, I think you've really pulled me onto the side of supporting this twist by pointing out how crazy that is and connecting it with how crazy the solution to the problem is. It's like, right. we're, we've got this ridiculous thing, so now we're going to solve it with this ridiculous solution, which is becoming an action hero, um, which really and, works and for what other- they're going for. How many other action movies, like buddy cop movies, go to the lengths to root something like this into some semblance of reality? You know what I mean? Like it's usually just some cartoonishly, you know, crazy bad guy who's murdering his own henchmen. You know, right. that's like, you know, he's got he's like got some sort of compound in Cuba or like he's got some sort of huge um operation with a million like expendable uh guys that can be shot down you know it, it's all it's all very silly um it, it's always been silly but this movie takes the pains to set it into a unique setting give you all of the pieces you need and then kind of pull the rug out from under you and be like haha like gotcha but you're st- like um you know, this is what you signed up for. Technically, this is exactly what we, what you you've we've we've been promising you the whole time. Yeah. No, I think it really works. I I um, I think yeah, it's it's a great way to keep this movie like to do an homage to what this movie is trying to make an homage to to action films and but also to make it its own unique thing. It's like Hot Fuzz. That's the movie with that ridiculous twist, and then yes. you can decide for yourself if if it works. I got one more thing to talk about, and maybe this maybe this is better for the deeper section, but I feel like it, I don't have that much to say about it. But it, here, I'll, I'll preface it uh, with this quote. Fascism. Wonderful. <laughs> so <laughs> the town of uh, Sanford is really, in my mind, the ideal fascist state. Everyone who doesn't belong is killed. Um, they root out any of the, all, like, all their problems and keep basically just the good stuff. And it makes, it makes sense to me that this would like a fascist system would end up in the state that Sanford's in because like the, uh, this kind of system requires an outgroup. And once you eliminate that outgroup, the goalposts just have to move. A new line is drawn and suddenly you, you know, one of the people uh, uh, perpetuating the atrocities is one are one step closer to the chopping block. No one is safe, not even the members of the council. And although I feel like the true horror of what's happening in Sanford is never truly like allowed to set set in, um, it's it, like it feels like the natural next step of the process, right? Um, and there's two quotes I think that really kind of highlight uh, this idea of like um, a like a kind of um, independent like very nationalist view of like oh like we got to make this uh we got to do everything we can for this and we can't trust anybody that's outside of the of the place this is both from the inspector you're not seriously gonna believe this man are you are you he isn't even from round here he isn't even from round here he says like you know which is the like the, the call of the um you know of the white ethno state you know what i mean of like oh this person doesn't belong here this person isn't like us right he doesn't understand what it's like to be here and the other one which uh i'm just going to call a uh, massa i think uh also stood out to me because this movie was made in what 2007 i swore that i would do her proud and whatever the cost we would make sanford great again so this doesn't make any sense Make Sanford wow. great again. <laughs> Pretty freaking amazing. <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, that's uh, 
uh, yeah, I, that's my little my old take there. I, I again, like I think this movie after that twist happens and they have um, Nick and uh, the inspector have this kind of exchange about kind of political idealism. It um it, it the movie kind of takes a turn towards something else, right? It's no longer about uh like this conspiracy behind the scenes from powerful people in the town and it becomes like a belief in how the best to run a town like this and um nicholas angel the cop sort of falls into this weird state of like uh in another you know in another situation he may be a proponent of the fascist state right he may be an element of that and in fact we see just how useful the police are in this movie toward uh one element or the other right when they are under the control or under the influence of the inspector they um constantly are uh, discounting every crime or every accident as um you know just an accident it's just like oh they every you know accidents happen all the time which like watching this movie a couple times really sounds more sinister the second time you know when you hear it yes Cause they're like accidents happen all the time accidents happen all the time it's like how many accidents exactly how how often are people just disappearing or dying from mysterious in, in like weird ways in this town empty um, evidence room and yep. uh yeah yep. just belief and- that these accidents are a part of life Right. But then as soon as they turn, right, that's kind of the turning point of the town. As soon as uh, Angel convinces the rest of the police uh, service to join up with him, that's when they are successfully able to overthrow everything, right? Before that, it was kind of on the ropes. It was just kind of Angel in the streets and, and Danny helping him. But once he has the police on his side, they're able to take on the supermarket and stop the inspector and Skinner. So all of that, um, you know, all of that comes together uh, because uh, you know these guys hold a lot of sway and power in this community, and um, it's it's interesting seeing um, Nicholas Angel framed as like the good cop, right? He and he is because he's very much by the book. He believes in the law, but he also can, has an internal sense of right or wrong. You know, he he respects authority, but as soon as he recognizes what these people are doing is insane and murderous, he immediately turns into his own internal compass and moves toward that. And then, but he still doesn't ever lose sight of what it means to be a police officer, right? He still does all the paperwork, right? He still leads the charge with all the people. He still directs them and helps them, you know, come up with some sort of uh, siege strategy. All of that is um, part of his training um, and is used to, you know, eventually overthrow this this thing. Again, I, I, I don't know what the... Um, what exact message here that I'm trying to convey is, but something along the lines of like the police play an important role in what kind of society we have, you know, whether mm-hmm. that's a fascist one or a one that's governed by some sort of fair and balanced law. No, definitely. And uh, I thought it was interesting that he brought up his notepad as his greatest weapon. And yes. I, I don't know if we saw that driven home like super strongly, uh, but I think that that mindset endears us a little bit more to Nick as a cop because he's like, I'm more here to just facilitate justice as opposed to being like, your most important weapon is clearly your guns. You can kill uh, yes. people. Yeah. You know? Right. Well, that's the thing is like, you want, I want to believe that every cop is joining the police uh, service because they uh, are like um, Nicholas Angel, right? That, that that they they believe in some sort of higher duty of the law. I really like that um, that quote he has with Danny. You want to play that uh, where he talks about why he wants to be a policeman? Yeah. What made you want to be a policeman, officer? What made you want to be a policeman, officer? 
I don't remember a time when I didn't want to be a police officer, apart from the summer of 1979 when I wanted to be Kermit the Frog. <laughs> it all started with my uncle Derek. He was a sergeant in the Met. He bought me a police pedal car when I was five. I rode round in it every second I was awake, arresting kids twice my size for littering and spitting. I got beaten up a lot when I was young, but it didn't stop me. I wanted to be like Uncle Derek. He sounds like a good bloke. Actually, he was arrested for selling drugs to students. What a cunt. <laughs> Probably bought the pedal car with the proceeds. Needless to say, I never went near it again. I just let it rust. But I never forgot the clear sense of right and wrong that I felt at the wheel of that pedal car. I had to prove to myself that the law could be proper and righteous and for the good of humankind. It was from that moment I was destined to be a police officer. It's a shame. How so? I think you would have made a great Muppet. <laughs> <laughs> Um, this is your quote that you wanted to pull, but uh, let me, let me, let me steal it from Go you. Ahead, um, the, uh, I really like this quote. I think it's amazing. Uh, first of all, it establishes, you know, why, why Angel is the way he is, right? Why he thinks the way he does, um, and kind of gives you a lot of backstory about him, but it also kind of frames the police in a poor way. Uh, every other police officer in this movie besides Nicholas Angel is kind of a shithead. Uh, you know, put that in the box. Um, they, they, um. <laughs> Right, the, the 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 leadership in London are all like, let's get rid of this guy because he's too good at this job. Uh, the Sanford police are pretty much incompetent and, and uh, complicit in a murderous conspiracy. Um, and then you know, even Uncle Derek is <laughs> is selling drugs to kids. Like, what the hell? And using the proceeds to basically, he probably used the proceeds to buy the pedal cars. So funny, dude. Uh, but that, and this is just another example of how good the dialogue is in this movie because we're sitting here for the explicit purpose to hear why Nicholas Angel became a cop. But we also get this hilarious exchange where he's like, "What a cunt!" Like he like switches back immediately. Because he's like, Seems sounds like a good, like a good bloke. bloke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. Um, no, and now that we've had this conversation, I see this exchange in a new light because it's not just that Nick is saying, I wanted to become a cop because cops are inherently right. He's like, right. I wanted to become a cop because being a cop is an opportunity to serve like righteous justice, to, an opportunity yes. to um, serve, like see right and wrong and do what's best for humanity which um, I think is a, is a good stance to have as a cop. He, has, he says this to, he goes and talks to uh, you know, a, a school full of children, right? He gives a presentation to the local school and he says, uh, uh, policing is procedural correctness in the execution of unquestionable moral authority, um, which is you know, a fancy way basically of talking about like, the, the first thing he says is procedural correctness, right? It's following the rules, right? It's not, uh, it, it's not about jumping through the air and firing your guns at, at once, unless you know the situation calls for it. It is a, um, it's about going through the procedure and, and, and preventing crime, which is just as important as um, stopping it as it happens, right? Um, and like this is what you want to hear from the police service, right? Is you you want to hear from you want to hear that these people are. Like stopping it at the root, right? Going up the next, up the chain, and finding out who's who's at fault for this, right? Which is something that Batman doesn't do in the Batman, I don't think. <laughs> I, but I think Nicholas Angel follows follows his leads to um, uh, a, a natural conclusion. You know, he finds his way to Skinner. Turns out Skinner really was part of the conspiracy, right? And um, 
it's even possible that the reason why he killed his cousin may even be more complicated than just she was moving away. Maybe it was because uh, he felt threatened by another, you know, um, by another business that was coming in. So like uh, all of that can, um, you know, all of that can be there. All, all of it could be a, a reason for that. The, um, but yeah, I think that policing is portrayed very interestingly in this movie because on one hand it's shown, Nicholas Angel is shown to be like the perfect cop and he's supposed to be really, really good. Obviously, he still has flaws in his personal life, but he's still like a, um, he's still, you know, he cares a lot about what he's doing. He's doing it for the right reasons. He's not just following things blindly. He's thinking about, you know, critically about why he's doing the things he does and believes fully in the, uh, the purpose of the law and every law that comes through, you know, um, which is kind of different than how other uh, people treat it. Other people see it as a job. Other people see it as a, an excuse to be uh, to exercise authority over other people, right? Um, other people see it as like your divine appointment, maybe. Um, and and that's uh, all of those are sort of the opposite or antithetical to what you need from a police service. No, I totally agree. And Nick seems to be um, the ideal cop. You can only imagine what London would look like if all of the cops were Nicks and yeah. instead of being uh, super cop, the guys, the cop, the cop, <laughs> instead of the three guys we saw there at the beginning, uh, like right. his superiors, which was hilarious. Um, Martin, and, which Freeman, actually, Steve Coogan, and Bill Nye. Yes, and and actually, um, that was something I, I didn't write down, but the the foreshadowing of the concept of misdirection happens in that scene because they're constantly calling the next guy up in the chain of command and when he says he's like do you want me to call the whoever the the inspector or whoever's the highest yeah. ranking guy is like do you want me to call him and they're all like as they're talking about calling him everyone is like looking at the phone everybody is gesturing towards the phone they're saying call him and then he just walks in you know like you, <laughs> like you they're anticipating this phone call and, it, and he just walks in the room which is i thought i was like oh hilarious that's misdirection like that's clearly yeah. going to play a huge part in this film and it absolutely does that's awesome no there's so much it's so rich um uh i mean we we've already spent an hour talking about just how rich it is um yeah and uh all just so many different elements to it but yeah if, if you've never watched this movie go you have to sit, go see it because it's uh it's uh it's amazing it's one of my favorite movies ever made well I think that is going to bring us to the end of our overall section so we can move forward to our cool Easter eggs. I do feel like I, I've been lacking on the curse words here, so let me just sprinkle a few in. Shit. Yeah, yeah. Shit. Ass. Okay. <laughs> there we go. Uh, just a couple more. That, that definitely, uh, yeah, that's definitely the right way to do it. Not, uh, <laughs> I'm just not a gutter uh, mouth usually. Organically. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. And, uh, and beginning our cool Easter eggs, uh, the first one is looking at that placard that was on the fountain at the beginning of the movie. You see all the names of the townspeople of Sanford, and they're all occupations or activities. We got Cooper, Porter, Turner, Shooter, Prosser, Hatcher, Paver, Butcher, Skinner, Fisher, Walker, Thatcher, Weaver, Roper, Tiller, Reaper, Messenger, Staker, Treacher, Cocker, Blower, Draper, Merchant, Cartwright, and Wainwright. Uh, yes. Which I guess are the right ones. Uh, this is something I got off of IMDb, but what does right mean? Is that an action? Is that a That's occupation? like a, 
uh, that's like some sort. It's like a like a craftsman of some sort. Okay, okay. Like a blacksmith, but, I think. Yeah, but, but like anyways, that's. Specific. It seemed like kind of an old fashioned way to do this because uh, isn't that like how we got last names? People were just like, yeah, he's the he's John. Right. Well, these are Butcher, all old white families, you yeah. know. <laughs> And yeah, some, no, I, yeah. I I noticed that too. That they were all like, all these were like ended in ER or like were were occupations. Uh, if you go to the fountain, they have the list of everyone in the um in the neighborhood watch, right? And in the center column, it's uh, Skinner, Roper, Reaper, and Reverend Shooter, which are all <laughs> like you know uh, ways you could kill someone. You might say yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um. Uh oh my gosh! I love the um, I love the the swear jar that they have in this movie. Uh, I just picked that out. There's all these little moments of things written down. Uh, but they have um, knob, bastard, shit, and fuck. All of them with like asterisks or smiley faces in in place of some of the letters. And then they just have cunt written at the end. <laughs> and all all four letters are written out. <laughs> Oh, and then man. under that it says all proceeds to the restoration of the church roof, which is foreshadowing toward the loose, you know, <laughs> um, steeple part of the church roof, which ends up uh, crushing um, and exploding to Messenger's head. What uh, did you think of awesome. that? By the way, the special effects for that. Oh, it looks awesome. It I, was- I think it's so cool. It's so gory. Like it's just like extra. You know. Yeah. Uh, like it looked like something out of a sci-fi movie. It really oh, it yeah. jumped out at me as something like stood out from the special effects department in this movie. I watched this. Uh, I watched this with Jenny. Uh, like a, I don't know, it must have been a few years ago. And I remember specifically covering her eyes at that part, just being like, "Don't watch this part. You're not gonna like this." <laughs> Even though there are lots of other parts that, like you know, people like spray blood and stuff. It's it's a pretty gory movie. Um, I I read that that was on purpose to um, kind of. Uh, enhance like the action of the movie to, to give it kind of a hyper real feel uh the ultra violence um to make it feel uh more like cartoonish yeah 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 i think that definitely go- comes across yeah i love that head exploding thing i think it's awesome i've never seen a head explode like that before <laughs> because something's fallen on it like that it's kind of uh i haven't seen a head explode like that since i watched midsummer <laughs> that'll bring back some some nice mental images <laughs> there you go um I, I listened to or i watched an interview with simon Pegg where he talked about some of his most iconic characters and he talks about nicholas angel of course and he says that after he, he did after hot fuzz came out he gets a lot of respect from police officers he says that lots of police officers um uh like recognized that he wasn't making fun of being a police officer. It wasn't really, this movie isn't really a parody. It's really kind of a send off. Um, and uh, they, uh, they were all very appreciative of that. And of course he also you know, spent a lot of time studying cops in this role, um, which I think you have a little bit. Yeah. About. Yeah. So apparently they interviewed a lot of police officers, spent a lot of time with police officers in researching for this film. And a lot of the lines that he says in this film actually are direct quotes from real police officers, such as I prefer to think my office is out on the street. And then yeah. another thing that I really appreciate in this movie that they they really definitely emphasize in this film is the doing paperwork. And they I love did it that in these so like much. stylized Edgar Wright like sequences. Yeah, it's, it's it's shot like an action scene, you know, where they're like or like a like a montage where people are like preparing for battle or something. Right. But it instead it's like all these quick cuts of like, you know, 
pens scraping on paper and, and pictures being taken. And yeah. Like action, like, you know, there's like hardcore rock music in the background. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently real police officers know that the paperwork is a huge part of the job, but it's yes, never it's depicted it's a, in the shows or films about police officers. Police work is bureaucracy. It's That's what it is. Um, yeah, it's awesome. Oh, yeah. So in that interview, um, Simon Pegg talks about he went on ride-alongs, actually. He... Um, he he like was in the car with some of the London police officers and and um and uh you know actually was there while they uh, dealt with domestic disputes and other things too. So he um he got some firsthand knowledge uh, of that by actually spending time with uh, real police officers. I imagine cool. being a actual like criminal and you're getting arrested and fucking Simon <laughs> Pegg is just Peg like is watching you. <laughs> yeah, you're like, hey, I loved you in Spaced. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it'd yeah, be, pretty that'd be funny. wild. <laughs> so, according to Wikipedia, uh, in a uh, in a um, interview that I read, um, Wright and Peg spent eighteen months writing this script. The first draft took eight months to develop, and they said they watched one hundred and thirty-eight cop-related films for the dialogue and plot ideas. Um, and they conducted over fifty interviews with police officers for research. Um, and the script was completed after another nine months. Wow. Um, so yeah, it's a, it was an intense labor of love. And, um, they, I, they, in that interview, they talk about how even the edits were scripted. Um, so every piece of this, uh, was carefully put together. No improvision, right? They, they said they had, they said they had no time for improvision, um, uh, because they had so many careful things to do, um, uh, in every single scene. So um, Chris so, Tucker yeah. was not considered for any so, of the roles. Chris Tucker <laughs> would not fit in in this movie, unfortunately. <laughs> Despite his iconic role uh, as a as a cop um, in uh, Rush Hour. Oh my gosh! When are we going to get Rush Hour Four Hot Fuzz? That's what I'm. And and they right, go yeah, Rush to Rush Hour Four. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, Baby Drivers uh, Rush Hour Four. <laughs> <laughs> oh my awesome. gosh. Um, another, another interesting thing about this movie, uh, Nick Frost, uh, who plays Danny said that he would only do the film if he could name his character. And so that's why his character is named Danny Butterman, which is why the inspector is one of the only people in the town who's not named after an occupation or some <laughs> other thing, uh, cause he's named after his son. I don't know. Uh, Butterman Day. is kind of an occupation. <laughs> I guess it could be. You're right. I didn't think about that. But it was really confusing to have Simon Pegg be named Nick and then Nick Frost be a different name. Yeah, but then also the the to make it even more confusing, the music supervisor, like the person who write who did all the music and scoring for this movie, is named Nick Angel. Like it's (laughs) (laughs) it's bizarre. (laughs) Um. So okay, on the actual DVD, I found a couple of interesting little things beyond like the you know the deleted scenes and stuff. There is a uh, the the man who would be king. It says the it's uh the man who would be fuzz uh, uh, is the uh, the parody where Nick Frost and um, uh, Simon Pegg uh, as they are as Nick Frost is or as Danny is um, inviting uh, Angel into his house to watch movies. Um, they have that little scene where they're like, hey, do you want to come in for some coffee or tea or something like that? Um, and they they redid this scene. And Simon Pegg and Nick Frost redid the scene, but they pretended to be um, uh, Michael Caine and, shoot, what's his name? Sean Connery. Sean Connery. 
it's Michael Caine and Sean and Sean and, and Sean Connery. They do those. They do the accents instead. Um, it's it's pretty funny. Um, maybe if I maybe later I could I could rip that and you could listen to it. Okay. Um, and then there's also included in there is the other side of Danny's flipbook. So you see Danny has his notebook and he's he's drawn a uh, a zombie criminal being shot by a, a police officer, which is yeah. obviously a, an homage to Shaun of the Dead. But on the other side of the, he says, oh, there's something on the on the back too, and you never see what that is in the movie. But they actually do have a flipbook that he does on the other side and it's in the uh, special features of the uh, the DVD. It's a, a criminal being run over over and over again by a police car. He gets run over once and then he's like, oh, my leg, oh, my, my skull. And then he gets run over over and over again. So he's like <laughs> basically just mush. Wow. Well, speaking of homages to the first movie, there was that hilarious scene where he's like, what's the matter? Never taken a shortcut before, and uh, which is a line from Shaun of the Dead where yes. Shaun tries to jump over a fence and the fence collapses underneath him and he looks looks like a buffoon but in this movie instead of it that happening he clears like three fences and then the fourth fence he does like a somersault over it and he looks super badass so uh definitely uh in the first movie they undercut your expectations and then they do it again here and then nick frost is the one that falls through the fence yeah which i also read that he did after that like during that scene during that take he purposely looked back at the camera uh, so that you could see his face so that you knew that it was him doing the actual stunt <laughs> um and yeah apparently simon Pegg actually jumped over two of those fences and then the stunt man did the last one um which i think is uh, pretty cool i Here's love later. gags like that where it's like they try to get it across and it's the same person through the gardens what's the matter danny you've never taken a shortcut before I love gags like that effects. where they try to yeah. freaking uh, get it across that it's one person and it's so clearly not them <laughs> when they do the one part of it that's like super extreme. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Okay, so um, the first draft of the script actually included a love interest for Nick Angel named Victoria, but she was eventually cut um, from subsequent drafts, um, but a lot of her dialogue was given to Danny. Uh, without many changes, at least according to IMDb, which again supports my my thesis that this movie is really a romance, right? Um, uh, they, they didn't have to change that much for uh, for Danny to fit in there, absolutely, um, and fit that role. Um, uh, the judges at the uh, for the best kept village competition at the end of the movie are played by Peter Wilde and Edgar Wright's and Simon Pegg's mothers. Uh, which I think is so funny, especially since the expression they have on their faces is what, you know, what the hell is going on here? Um, which I think would be pretty appropriate for, you know, their mothers as well. Like what are, what are our boys up to today you know, in this village, driving cars around, you know, filling an action Why can't movie. you make normal movies? Yeah. Why can't you make normal movies? It's funny. Um, in a Q&A session following a screening of the film in Newcastle, uh, Edgar Wright revealed that the film featured disguised cameos by two Oscar winners, Kate Blanchett and Peter Jackson. Um, I knew about Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett, I didn't know about Peter Jackson. Kate Blanchett plays uh, Nicholas Angel's uh, ex-girlfriend who is um, She's wearing a mask. Covered. Uh, she has a mask on. She has the clean suit on. She's like she's part of like the CSI team or whatever that's going through the um, a house that's been uh, you know vandalized or there's a murder taking place in the house. Um, and um, yeah, you you can see her eyes and that's basically it, and hear her voice. Um, 
Uh, I love that scene too. She's like, do you really think Bob is someone I would go out with? I'm going out with Dave. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then of course, uh, Peter Jackson plays Father Christmas, the same Father Christmas that stabs Nicholas Angel through the hand uh, in uh, a hilarious two, like maybe one or two second bit um, in this movie. That's incredible. And then finally, one more for, that I have here. I just have to include this uh, just uh, for all the dog lovers out there. Samson the dog, played by Sa- uh, played by Saxon the dog, uh, was not allowed to become a real police dog because he was considered to be too friendly. <laughs> <laughs> we still respect his service as a uh, actor. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, I have one more uh, Easter egg for us. Uh, so this is also from IMDb. While Nicholas is chasing a shoplifter through the supermarket, Danny is reading the taglines of the cheap action films in the half price bin where you see super cop. And then, uh, he, but in that same DVD bin, there's uh, a DVD copy of Shaun of the dead, but it's called zombies party, uh, which was the release title of Shaun of the Dead in certain countries. And uh, the price tag covers up Simon Pegg's face to keep from breaking the fourth wall, which is pretty cool. I didn't even realize that when I first watched no, it. No, I, I, even going back and getting this quote, I, I, it's hard. You can't really tell it's there. I actually had to stop and like go through frame by frame to see it because it's really quick. Um, and yeah, you, it is, it's, the, it's the cover. I, I mean, we were looking at some of the uh, covers when we were doing our thumbnail. But um, it's the one where they're on the subway, um, and you can see them like all the zombies are pressed up against the glass. Mm-hmm. Um, that that that's the one that they that they used. So it's a uh, it's pretty cool. It's a it's a neat little uh, hint in there. Really, like as many you know, for a movie that's like technically the second in a series, right? It is. Um, v- it has very few references to the previous movie. Um, you know, we we've, we've pointed out basically all of them. Uh, there's like a few others, like very small ones. And of course, there's a recycling of actors as well. But uh, it's like, you know, kind of an incredible amount of restraint uh, to not like rely heavily on the previous movie and just make a reference uh, here and there. Oh, yeah. And I think that we talked about it in the last episode, but this concept of like sequels through like the same actors slash like director versus having sequels where it's just a continuation of the story uh it's like such a breath of fresh air in a world that's completely saturated with sequels and and obviously the allure of sequels is there but it's cool to come at it from this different angle where it's a uh you know spiritual sequel it is a uh like a pseudo sequel but it doesn't actually have to shoehorn in a reason to have the same characters do more stuff after their story has effectively been concluded i think that's awesome this movie even if it wasn't as good as Shaun of the Dead, wouldn't have taken away anything from Shaun of the Dead because this is a completely different thing. So yep. uh, I, I love that. I love the Cornetto Three Flavors trilogy so far. Uh, and I, I think, yeah, this is, it's just, I love that concept. And I'm, I'm, that's really what's, uh, as much as these movies are really good and that's inspiring me to want to talk about them, I also just love this concept of connecting films without it having to be a direct sequel. The thing, like the, the thing that's so, like weird about today's movies right is that all of them like end with some sort of tease for another movie right it it, it, everything has to take place in this larger context these movies are perfectly self-contained right 
There are references to other movies and stuff, but they even kind of telegraph to you what those references are going to be with the point break, uh, shooting in the air or the bad boys, like this shit just got real kind of thing. Like all of that stuff is um, told to you in the movie. So you don't even have to have watched those movies or even be super familiar with them to appreciate this movie on its own. It stands up on its own, even though it is a, a response to, or a, um, you know, an expansion of the, a very well-trod genre right and then but then you get movies like the batman or suicide squad or whatever right that have these like incomprehensible endings where like there's some sort of setup for something that's going to happen in the future like oh this is going to happen and if nothing happens then this is like a completely incomprehensible or a completely uh extraneous part of the movie right imagine like like i don't know 50 years or something and like this whole idea of sequels or like you know cinematic universes has been long dead and someone goes back and watches the mummy with tom cruise right where they're setting up this elaborate um a cinematic like universal monster universe right and it's uh it's just makes no sense like what is this movie it doesn't there's nothing here like it's like oh all of it is just setting up for something that doesn't even exist like why did they do this why didn't they just tell a story like all these other ones do you know instead of spending all this time trying to talk about what they're about to talk about they actually talk about talking about it and like this movie <laughs> i feel like does like again like this is the beauty of this trilogy is that everything is self-contained everything is uh there's no reason to link these two together there's no burden for trying to figure out how we got from point a to point b right it's a completely separate story that sometimes like briefly references uh the other one in it that those references are purely for fun it's not so that you can make some sort of wide ranging pixar theory about why all your <laughs> movies are connected you can just say oh like this movie is, you know, good on its own and you can look at it in one piece um, and appreciate the for what it is. Absolutely. And and I go back and forth on this kind of like there are definitely times where having this connected universe is awesome. Endgame, Infinity War. I mean, th they were amazing, but sometimes it just sucks ass because I think about some of the bigger blockbusters we've seen. And again, I'm not saying it's bad that they're building towards something else, but you watch the Batman and you finish it and you're like, well, that was good, but um, it really depends on what happens next. Kind of the, if I, if I really am going to determine my opinion on this, uh, I liked Dune, but I'm really really waiting for the next dune movie to come out to before i decide if this movie is good or it's uh like offensively shitty you know uh, yeah. so it, it's because it could be a sequel can come in and completely obliterate what the first one uh, created and and um it it's i guess it's only frustrating because it's so saturated it seems like every single movie is made for the express purpose of justifying the creation of an additional movie and then hopefully right hopefully with quotes here the creation of a whole long line of films where you're right. going to have to come up with creative wordplay to justify the the high number that you're including in the in the title so <laughs> which again it just feels shitty in a world where you only especially when you're um you know very trying to be conscious about your media consumption diet you're only going to be able to watch so much stuff and when a, mo a movie you watch comes with this uh agreement that you're going to sign on for unlimited sequels then you can only that's going to impede your progress towards watching other stuff and sure uh, or it, you know which which the more realistic thing is that you're just going to come in and out of it right you're going to 
your friends are like, I want to go see the new Marvel movie and you haven't seen any of the Marvel movies. You're going to go in and they're going to be like, oh, that was so cool. And you're going to be like, this was confusing. Like, yeah. there's nothing in here that like, like, I don't understand. I haven't watched every other episode. So I don't really know why like this is what's going to happen. And, and eventually, like, I feel like that's a lot of reasons why people don't like the Marvel movies is because it's such a high barrier of entry. There's so many movies to watch. And it's like, is it really worth it to sit through every single one? It's like when you're going through it, you know, you know, a couple of, uh, well, a couple of them come out each year for ten years or something. It's a it's a reasonable um, you know undertaking. But to watch all of them at once, or like even all of them over the course of several weeks or something, is kind of monumental and, the, and honestly probably not worth it. Yeah. So like, <laughs> like that's like a um, you know that's that's the trade off here, and uh, ultimately it just ruins the experience of going to the movies for people because suddenly you are not like privy to the information that you need to appreciate this thing and the effort it would take to go back and do that isn't going to be satisfying. <laughs> right. Oh, so like, yeah. So like, and, but of course, like those are the movies that make the most money and those are the movies that continue to be made are the ones that can justify more of themselves being made. Which is why I think this movie or just the Cornetto Three Flavors trilogy in general is almost like a satisfactory uh, alternative to the same kind of uh, to, to the media climate right. that exists right now for films is it's like you don't have to continue the story. Just bring back all your favorite actors. If you have a movie that has all your favorite actors and a great director and it tells a really compelling story and you come back and say not just from the people who made such and such film because we already get that in advertisements. If you literally say this is like part of the trilogy of whatever you could like market it as a sequel without having any of the baggage of a sequel, which I think is yeah. is really cool. I just wish that we could see it even a little bit more uh, than we Definitely. currently do. Well, that's the, that's the American horror story model, right? And I think that works pretty well. I think that's how a lot of TV shows should work, right? They should, they should have a concept and then they should explore it in many different ways. And, you know, this puts a lot of pressure on the writers and the director, right, um, to come up with something new every season and not just have these multi-season arcs uh, or multi-movie arcs, right, that can be written out and, you know, hammered out in a couple of months and then, like, slowly built over time, even though they don't make any sense. Um, like, that can be, um, that can be supplemented uh, by having well-written things, right? And uh, what that does is it, you know, ensures um, uh, work for your actors, right? That's the that's the problem that you always have with these television shows is that it could run for nine seasons and then suddenly just end and then like you're out of work forever, right? But if you have an ever-changing story, one in which your your acting chops are used in different ways and, your, um, and they can take different perspectives that don't necessarily have to connect, um, that puts a lot of more pressure on the writing team but it allows for a lot more freedom in the story and allows you to explore ideas in a really interesting way um, and, and come at things from a, a bunch of different angles, right? You can, you can tell uh, revenge stories or um, horror stories or action stories um, in completely new settings with uh, completely new characters, but with the same team behind it, right? Um, I think that's really compelling. I think that's uh, something that I want to you know, sign up for. I want to know more about. Um, I'm with you on that. that. It's easier to do. And I don't know how we make this this come across, but uh, or, or like how this like maybe we just need to start making movies, Joey. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it, that's it, the that's the inevitable conclusion, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it's 
I, again, just all this to say, it's very cool to see something like the Cornetto Three Flavors trilogy doing this because uh, it is really cool. It's a it's a uh, fresh of breath air, as they say. That's right. That's right. So, okay, well, I think that's going to bring us to the end of our conversation on Hot Fuzz. As we do at the end of every episode of Apple Chat, we will now deliver our ratings. Joey, what rating do you want to give to Hot Fuzz? I give this movie a rip-roaring tour of the model village to recreate the events of this movie. Very cool. It's, uh, yeah, that, that was a pretty gruesome, like, oh stab my gosh. through the mouth. I can't, I... I remember the first time I watched that, I was like, oh my God, I just like, could not believe it. I'd never seen anything like that. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, must have been painful. Um, I give this movie the Best Village Award because oh that gosh. is what it was all about. That was the point of all this is to get that award. It's right there in front of you. Perfect. <laughs> so um, there you have it. That's the end of our uh, our discussion on this uh, amazing movie, Hot Fuzz. Um I think at this point, I will say uh, we said this many cuss words, 12, <laughs> okay. which means that we'll be donating this much money. Hey, this is Benjamin uh, well, editing this podcast, and $12 didn't seem like enough to justify a donation, so I went ahead and bumped it up to $40, and that's how much we're going to donate is 40 So we're going to be donating that to the Bail Project. Yes, right. Uh, so after uh, we, Joey and I, decide who owes more, I think I said more customers. <laughs> but uh, you just threw them in there, so that's right. Well, I wanted to do the bit, so. Uh, but that's that's it for this episode, Joey. What's next on Affable Chat? Uh, next, we're doing the World's End. I've decided, yes, uh, which is the final installment on the Three Flavors Cornetta trilogy. Yeah. Um, so I've never seen be... this one, so I'm really excited to. I've got a lot of anticipation for this one. These first I, uh, two have been. I've amazing. only seen it once, um, and that's all I'm going to say for now. So okay, well, um, that's what's coming up on Apple Chat. But for now, you can subscribe to us on Spotify and iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you liked this episode, then tell a friend about it. All you have to say is, have you considered listening to Affable Chat? You can reach us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Affable Chat, or send us an email, affablechat at gmail.com. We also have a YouTube channel. It's called Affable Chat. Affable Chat is live on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern time on Twitch. That's twitch.tv slash Affable Chat. That's going to do it for this episode for Affable Chat. I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening.